welcome to Estradile Illusions. Today we are going to do an episode that has been hyped ever since our On the Subject of Gay Dumbledore episode, and we have Colin George Babb back with us to talk about something that's very dear to my heart and probably rather unquestionably uh, more dear to his heart. We are here to talk about Power Rangers. Colin, do you want to say hello? Hello, my name is Colin George Bebb, and Power Rangers is my everything. It's my Doctor Who, my Star Trek, all that. Let's start with uh, just the just general the general gist of where the show was at the time of Day in the Dumpster. We have these five teenagers with attitude who were selected to stop a woman who comes out of a little sort of crockpot prison that was on the moon. And she wants revenge. And Colin, do you think that's a, a apt description? Um, well, you know her her goal was simple. You know, take over the Earth. And oh, it just so happens that uh, the person who was responsible for him imprisoning her in the aforementioned crockpot was on Earth. So you know, two birds, one stone, uh, that sort of thing. Yes, a face who was in a ceramic tube or a cylindric tube. Zordon, who has these big giant dinosaur toys that are massive that he needs a bunch of teenagers to pilot because, well, you know, actually, I mean, if we want to talk about the the origin of the teenagers with attitude, why that would make sense over somebody who's an adult, an adult would have a job. And these Power Rangers, they have school, but they're, they're very, they're shown to quite uh, easily sort of sneak away from their responsibilities and uh, they 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 make up his elite commando squad to battle with a very interesting sort of set of rules. Um, uh, pretty simple rules to establish why things are the way they are. Uh, the big one is don't reveal your secret identity because this was the '90s and secret identities were all the rage. None of this I am Iron Man bullshit of today. Uh, second one is the one that gets the most ignored is um or at least most ignored when people like to bring up weird things about the power rangers is you're not supposed to escalate a battle unless your enemy forces you to which is like people always ask why don't they just use the resource across the monster it was day one said right there why they can't do that you don't escalate a battle unless the enemy forces you. They are righteous and good heroes. They don't fin- They don't start the conflict. They don't push it beyond your opponent's boundaries. They just end it as cleanly and efficiently-ish as they can. And the third one is uh, never use your powers for personal gain. And you know, it's as I say it, as I say it, all three of those rules, I can think of. I mean, the show's been on for 20 years, so I can think of at least one example where all three of those rules have been broken, but whatever. Well, it's sort of sad that they never took the Megazord around Taco Bell or something, because I think that would be uh, certainly uh, appropriate for one of their many battles. On the notion of escalation, I really, that's something, as as I rewatch these, is one of my favorite shows to watch when I'm stoned. Because, uh, I mean, it's really, it's got everything. It's got bad slapstick comedy. It's got action. It's got giant, giant monsters. But with Escalation, they wouldn't even uh, morph if the Putty Patrol came. They, it, they, You had to morph when Goldar, one of the other monsters, showed up. And they actually adhere to that pretty well. It's got kind of a, a Mighty Morphin has a very 
sort of solid uh, continuity when you think about how, how, how ridiculous the, the very concept is. Now, for people who are casual Power Ranger fans, uh, Power Rangers was was really a sort of a genius idea of blending uh, cheap, really low-budget high school uh, scenes that you could do a couple of, and then you could borrow the action footage from a Japanese show called Super Sentai, which uh, really made this show, especially how low these actors were paid. <laughs> Basically, it was... It was and, and, and on top of all of that, to have this show be, like, the perfect farm system for every toy on the planet Earth. I mean, this thing was just a cash cow. Oh, most definitely. It it, it um The creator of the show, Haim Saban, he had been pitching the show for years. Uh, he was on... Uh, he was a music producer in the 80s, and... He had been on a work trip in Japan, and one day he was just flipping through the channels, and he came across the Sentai that was on at the time called Chodenchi Bioman, and he fell in love with it. So he ran downstairs, asked for a VHS tape, so he could record uh, the so he could record this episode. And when he got to the states, he immediately started to put together a pilot, which did the American actors with the mixed Japanese footage. He shopped it around for years, and nobody bought it. This is like 86 was when he started this. And it wasn't until a producer, sorry, an executive at Fox named Margaret Loesch uh, had gotten in touch with him. She was, uh, she had create basically created the entire Fox Kids block because she was the one who greenlit shows like Batman the Animated Series, the 90s X-Men show, and she was looking for shows to fill up this block. And he pitched the idea of Power Rangers to her. She had heard a similar idea from Stan Lee, who had kind of the same idea, but with an earlier Sentai series way back in the 70s, but it never went anywhere. And so now that she has a position of power, she's like, yeah, let's go right ahead. Uh, pilot was commissioned, and then the pilot tested well, and 40 episodes were commissioned initially, and yeah, it started from there. So to talk about the casting a little bit, because I know one of the sort of lasting, uh, I guess if you were to call it a controversy, that would somewhat be accurate, the the idea that we have a uh, Black Power Ranger who is the Black Ranger... And then also the really offensive one was the um, you had uh, Trini, the Yellow Ranger, who is of Asian descent. Yeah. So the final pro the final product we got with that makes it look pretty bad. Um, and it's you you could argue it's inescapably bad, but um, it was not malicious intent, and that's something that has been joked about for years. There's YouTube videos about Zordon the racist and uh, all this other stuff. But but if we go back to the show when it's casting and it's in its early infancy phase, we could see that it was a horrible but rather innocent enough mistake. So uh, when the casting was... When casting was going on, there were a lot of, obviously, the five kids that we got to know were not the ones who were the first choices for every role. Um, David Yost, who played Billy, auditioned for and won the part of Jason, but for whatever reason, he felt he wasn't right for the role, so they switched him to Blue. And uh, another actress, so the Yellow Ranger was originally played by an actress named Audrey Dubois, who is 
Afro-Latina, and she does the con circuit every now and again. She was originally cast as Trini, and she's in the pilot episode, but she either... I've heard, I've heard that she either wasn't satisfied with the pay or she wasn't confident that the show was going to go anywhere, and she left. And so they went with their next best option, who was Tui Trang, who they just slapped together. Um, and you might think, well, okay, didn't they think that having this Asian woman be the Yellow Ranger was a bad move? Well, it probably didn't occur to anyone that that was the case, because if you watch the first season of the show, you'll see that the actors who played the kids out of suits are never in any shots where it's clear which ranger is who. Um, there are entire scenes shot where the rangers are in their suits being played by suit actors, for all we know, in some scenes, but you don't see them. Plus, all the fight footage with the in the suits has already been filmed and everything. The actors are just doing the stuff inside the juice bar or outside of the command center in Simi Valley. And yeah, you might, and no one really noticed that uh, this racial gaffe in casting until about episode 10. By that point, it's, you're already 10 episodes in, and that's, uh, that's not a, a big enough mistake that people are going to want to go back and undo five hours of footage that they've already shot, especially when they're doing like 16 hour days. So. And it's low budget to begin with. Very low budget, so reshoots are not really an option. Well, so now that we've addressed that controversy, along the similar lines, a silly, uh, I, I was about to say scandal as a substitute word for controversy, but it's not really. People have noted that Treaty, the Yellow Ranger, does not have a skirt, but that's a problem due to the fact that uh, the Japanese equivalent in Super Sentai their cast had four men and one woman. Yeah. So, um, while it would be nice if there was some more uh, gender fluidity in terms of their costumes, if the men could wear skirts, uh, you know, skirted spandex versus non-skirted spandex on the sexuality scale, I mean, I don't really see much of a difference, but there really wasn't... There wasn't some sort of uh, face behind the curtain uh, dictating uh, racism and uh, sexism toward uh, a certain ranger. Very odd. And I guess what I really like about season one is that it sets up so much of the... Well, naturally, it's the first season, but... uh, I mean, with a lot of long-running series, you have them kind of figure things out as they go along. We see just so many iconic... uh, Power Ranger tropes just really develop between the the you know very sort of uh, specific plot that's meant to tailor a, a lot of a lot of these episodes had to be reverse engineered from whoever the villain was in the Super Sentai show. Then they kind of had to write up a plot that kind of fit into how yeah. this how this monster could become. And we had all these iconic monsters who, especially Colin and I, have a three year age difference, so I was probably about. Well, actually, I was like one years old when this first came out, but it was... I, I wasn't even born yet yeah. when the show came out. So I, I was very young when this when Power Ranger Mania hit in the '90s, and as a kid in pre-K and kindergarten, we would have our teachers would really, really care about the vi- the, the violent scandal and all of that. And Power Rangers got really sort of set up as uh, something of within. Uh, 
within the the class structure, uh, literal literal class structure, not not classroom structure of of uh, our kindergarten class, you'd have uh, uh, sort of Power Rangers treated as a symbol of cultural capital of the cool kids who could watch Power Rangers, and then you had uh, the kids whose parents wouldn't let them, and they would be made fun of, and they would have to talk about something like Muppet Baby, which is a fine <laughs> show in its own right, but if you couldn't talk about what had happened on Power Rangers uh, the day before, then you were considered a loser. Imagine that. Yeah, so grow- so because I was born after so i was when i was born the show was still in its phenomenal like heyday um in its first and either the first or the second season the show actual power rangers actually shut down the 405 freeway because they were doing a live show at universal studios and <laughs> it actually shut down the freeway it was that much of a hit turbo man the oh sorry uh, jingle all the way with arnold schwarzenegger is kind of based on that uh phenomenon yeah the, the toy the the toy Christmas yeah toy of the season turbo man yeah uh, and other toys too but mostly like turbo man is very clearly a power ranger but i wasn't born for any of that so by the time i started watching a lot of people had stopped watching so i'm there like this six seven year old kid talking to these older kids about power rangers and they're just like oh yeah tommy and uh it's morphin time and i'm like who the hell is Tommy? Like, what? What do you mean? They say Lightspeed Rescue. That's like so. It was like a world. So it was worlds apart. So for those older kids, yeah, the the poo was Power Rangers. But by the time I was coming around, it was uh, kind of old hats ish. It kind of it was. Yeah, I still. It's still me. I still love it. It's uh, and it was on. It was on reruns by the time I started watching. So, and if you had ABC Family, you could see the Mighty Morphin seasons. But uh, <laughs> the Mighty Morphin season again just shows how long the show was on. The shows, the seasons of Power Rangers I was watching were different from Mighty Morphin. Like you can still tell it's Power Rangers, but uh, yeah. So what I really like about the first arc where you have people like, uh, I mean, to me, there's no villain greater than Pudgy Pig, who actually <laughs> got the pump, pop, who actually got the Pop Funko treatment. Now, Pudgy, uh, Pudgy Pig, and I, I'm not going to tell just classroom stories this whole time, but when we were in kindergarten, we got in trouble because uh, a lot of us wanted to play Power Rangers, and we would take the kid that we didn't really like, and he would have to be Pudgy Pig, and the rest of us would be Power mean. Rangers, and we would... <laughs> mean people always say like as a transgender woman were you were you bullied in school it's like no most of the time i did the bullying oh my god (laughs) um (laughs) we would make him be and this wasn't like a a bullying thing this is like we want to be the power rangers you like like girls would fight over who got to be kimberly who got to be trini boys would fight over who got to be tommy who got to be jason um we would make him be pudgy pig, and we wouldn't actually fight, but it was like, the, bah, bah. Yeah. see, okay, so it was, I, we still had those uh, moments of like, who would be the Red Ranger, who would be the, and because the show had been on for so long by the time I was in kindergarten, uh, it wasn't Jason, Tommy, Kimberly, but we knew which Ranger was which. We knew everyone wanted to be Red Ranger. There were a couple girls on the playground who were like, I'll be the Red Ranger. And then, wow, you know, that's feminism right Oh, there. my yeah. goodness. The fact that these girls uh, knew that they wanted, they were like, I. Uh, one of my closest friends, we've been friends since kindergarten, she was like, I'll be the first girl to be the Red Ranger. And we're like, 
Okay, all right. It's very progressive. Uh, it's it's Power Rangers, and so and the show like like I can see the um, I can imagine it's not difficult to imagine the concerned parents who I had. My grandmother was one of those concerned parents who was just like, "All right, you can watch it, but don't you try and imitate any of the stuff that they're doing." That's not even close to what she sounds like, but you know. <laughs> it was. Uh, I mean, it was just so per. Like we we talk about all the time how kids play. Uh, how kids don't play outside enough. They got they got the Snapchat on their cell phone. <sighs> we would um we'd be in the backyard and there was nothing better than just play kicking the air and putties. Oh, and I, I would I would love to take sticks that fell from the tree in our backyard and pretend that it was a sword and like raise it up and it, it would make the swishing sound too as I would shake it and it was like oh my god. <laughs> This is like Power Rangers. Well, that's kind of a. I mean, the the weapons in Mighty Morphin are are, are very iconic because you got your sword and you got your uh, dragon dagger, dragon daggers, and the mastodon like axe thing, uh, and Billy's sort of weird uh, staff, kind Baton, of a ton lance, and then uh, Kimberly had a bow, and yet. We talk. We talk about escalation, maybe, but it, all the Power Rangers had their gun, their blaster, and I mean, most of the time they would not. You wouldn't actually use them. Uh, so that was. That's a bit of a. That's a bit of a broadcast standards thing because, the show because you are featuring these. Uh, you can get away with it more in animation than you could in live action, uh, which is why a lot of the time in the a lot of time you'll see them firing their blasters off screen to something off screen you're not really gonna see a wide sh- a medium shot where the monster is getting hit and the rangers are firing their blaster in the same shot um or again sometimes it was enough to just have them put their weapons together and get one cool stock footage shot of the beam hitting the monster and you know it's it saves on having to shoot the same thing over and over again. But yeah, it really did come down to standards and practices was cooler with them using karate than using guns and swords most of the time. You could still have them, but try and limit their usage. And in fact, it got really complicated a couple of years ago when the the current season at the time dino charge their morpher was a gigantic dinosaur shaped gun and while they were allowed to feature the gun as their morpher they weren't allowed to use it too often so sometimes they would just say it's morphing time do a smash cut to them morphed and you wouldn't really see the gun used all that much so yeah and it's weird with mighty morphin this is airing in a era before mass shootings before mass shooting drills i mean guns it wasn't like a happy gun well, actually mcdonald i mean uh parents was a happy meal toy but it's not like they were giving out actual guns um the funny thing about the power ranger weapons is uh for me at least i always get kind of pissed when i see them because i i, I then start to think there's not going to be a zord battle and it's kind of funny nowadays to look back at how that could have been considered controversial because they're just firing this like big laser laser blast at a guy and some fireworks are going off and he falls backwards or she and uh, the episode kind of ends abruptly and you feel kind of uh, you feel like you've been ripped off because you didn't get you didn't get to see these costume people um, 
fight while a bunch of buildings. I mean, that's another. I don't want to. I don't want to cover too much ground with this train of thought, but it's never really talked about how. Well, actually, I mean, that's kind of one of the the things that I like about the first season is that the news would cover the attacks on Angel Grove because we don't see a lot of talking about how the Power Rangers do allow a lot of property damage. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's, so they will, uh, on occasion reference the property damage done. Um, like sometimes you will see this, this is after Mighty Morphin, but sometimes you will see, uh, multiple episodes where a certain building district is still up in smoke from the last monster battle. But again, they the writers did find a creative way to circumvent standards and practices on that one because as it so happens, a lot of monsters when they get big go for the abandoned buildings district. So no one was using them and no one was hurt in the old abandoned buildings district. I always, so, I live in Long Beach, which is a port town, and it has a lot of uh, sort of shipping areas and stuff with all this big factory equipment, and every time we drive by, it's like, oh, that's like a place where they could film Power Rangers, because most, most, it's seemingly, maybe not most, but it seemed like a lot of the time the Power Rangers would fight the villains either in a quarry, that might even be a TV trope, and I love using the word quarry. So every time quarry, quarry, um, or a electrical plant, it, it there was never they were never in like the lobby of a nice hotel or in somebody's mansion, and and they're in a, they're in California, where there's a lot of pools. They're never like pushing a bad guy into a pool. They're in a quarry or they're in an electrical. It's odd because it it seems as though those areas are probably not the best. Uh, places to cause destruction because those are areas where the destruction would probably matter least. Um. Uh. Well. Uh. Mm, uh. Hmm. 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 That is a good point. Um. But really, it's sort of like how. Uh. It's. It's like how in um, in Avatar: The Legend of Korra. Uh when they introduced planes into the world and you they did a couple episodes where you're seeing dogfights and a plane straight gets blown up but oh as it so happens the pilot pulled out and was able to pull his parachute just in time to avoid the explosion it's a kid show you know the whole never say die cuz kids don't know what death is and you can't explain property damage to the youngins it will, and come on, do you really think about that kind of harsh reality like, oh, wow, my favorite superheroes have caused billions in collateral damage? Well, think I, of- I mean, to, so to answer that question, uh, and this isn't, we're, we're, we'll try to keep on season one as much as possible. Yeah. Uh, Turbo, they lose at the end, and season three, the uh, command center gets blown up. So actually... In terms of life lessons, Power Rangers did manage to teach me sometimes you lose. In fact, Tommy, when he lost his Green Ranger powers, much cooler costume, sometimes you lose and you have to have a new costume which has an annoying talking sword. This is true, by the way, Saba stopped talking by season three. So yeah, as for why the 
the monsters don't attack the areas where it causes where it would cause the most damage and destruction. Uh, well, you know, you can do more impressive stunts in the suits in a great big mountain valley than you could in a gigantic city. Does that help? Ah, uh, I mean, that's something to think about. We should also, what I really loved about, and actually, I would always kind of compare Power Rangers to Law and & Order in the sense of each episode of Power Rangers, and this is something that the that season one did uh, exceptionally well, was it, it was so blocked into, the plot was always the same. You knew what you were going to get, and it always started off with, well, it didn't always start off with, but the, the dramatic action started. Rita was always pissed off about something, and she always had the same strategy of to destroy the Power Rangers by sending down this one monster that Finster would make. And it seemed as though the episode would always begin with them being so confident that now will be the time that they destroy the Power Rangers. You have Goldar, who... Talk about how many nightmares Goldar would have inspired. Mm, I preferred his original, like, gruff, scraggy, much more menacing voice rather than the low-key football lunkhead voice that he started to affect later in the series. I mean, he was a very, very menacing figure who also, on several occasions, served as the monster who was uh, blown up. And, I mean, that's kind of... When I think about sort of what season was the best, I really... um, in terms of Mighty Morphin, I, I, I like season one uh, because they, they, they managed to integrate characters like Squat and Babu into more of the narrative. They got more field time versus later on they would have to just be inserted on uh, Zurangard uh, 2 footage. We will yeah. get too well, much into that. Yeah. So, uh, and yeah, it would start out, it would, the show is very formulaic. It's, and when you're young you like that formula people, because you know what to anticipate like yeah like it's law and order same same sort of same sort of concept you sit down sh- you know what you're gonna get yeah both of these shows have been running for 20 years because of that familiarity but uh the show did very early on break with its traditional formula because i think about 10 13 episodes in rita realized that her sending one monster down at a time plan wasn't working too well for her so she decided that she would beat the rangers at their own game and make her own ranger boom the status quo has been disturbed the power ranger punks uh well yeah she did that but then you know oh, come oh really come on we know the one i'm talking about you know, he's got a oh, nice yes. gold shield. Yes, Tommy. Green suit. Well, that's like 20, 15. I mean, that is 15 episodes in. It was like earlier on than than people think. Um, and it was 17 in. 17 in. Oh, okay. And they made an event out of it. They had a five-part miniseries arc to, ha- to, flesh, to introduce and flesh out who this guy was. He looked cooler than the Rangers. He had that... He had a fancier suit. He had a Zord that he piloted all by himself. He had a weapon that functions as a flute that I never really got a beat as to how it worked if he's got the silver mouth plate on, but uh, uh, whatever. Uh, Funnily enough, a friend of mine asked me the other day, how does the flute work with the silver mouth plate? And we were thinking, okay, maybe the mouth plate is not a solid piece of silver maybe it's uh, maybe it's a 
magic mouth plate that Very lets porous. them yeah that lets because you know if you'll listen to them they never sound muffled like they speak perfectly clearly through these mouth plates as if it wasn't there so and every season of power rangers does have that form of silver mouth plate in one form or another with like one or two exceptions so maybe that's part of the anatomy of the suit i never really under tommy goes into the cockpit of the dragon zord i think like, like twice once or twice yeah. and the i to some extent, it makes sense that he would not want to be in the the machine that was getting... I mean, I always loved... They never made clear what exactly each ranger was supposed to be doing inside the walking machine or, or sort of they don't show Tommy getting lessons on how to maneuver this complex machinery. The The first episode has a blink and you'll miss it uh, reference. Jason, to- I meant. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the first episode, when they're piloting the Zords for the first time, has a blink-and-you'll-miss-it explanation. It seems as though, and other seasons do say this much more explicitly, it seems as though the knowledge to control the Zords is built into the suits, and it's something that they become aware of once they bond with their powers. Like, Billy says when they're... <laughs> Billy says when That makes sense. I, it's... <laughs> uh, okay, like, for... <laughs> We'll get to this with further seasons down the line that do explain this, but Billy does say, wow, it's almost like I know how to control this automatically. And Trini's like, yeah, it's just like second nature to me. Um, then something that I, something about the Zords. Um, Think of how much that technology would be worth to Mr. Cylindrical Cylinder Face. Uh, well, you know, he's, uh, uh, he's... You know, this technology could be imp- incredibly priceless to us, but he's from another planet that could be much more advanced in technology. This could just be the same, like, morphing technology could be the same as you or I just putting on a suit for the day, and they're just way more advanced at it than we are. So, and, uh, gosh. So, one thing I wanted to say about the Zords why don't they, other than Jason's, why don't they do anything? Like, they are, the four of the five Zords are there just to serve as armor, pretty much. for Yeah, okay, so the first Megazord, it's a bit more intricate. Okay, yes. Megazord sequence activated. Yes. Megazord sequence online. But you notice that, uh, like, Kimberly Zords. Kimberly had, oh, she had the rotten luck, in the first two seasons at least, of having Zords that are very superficial like her her first zord the pterodactyl forms the breastplate of the megazord i get the feeling it can function without that and then in the second season her zord becomes a belt for the new megazord that they get it's like couldn't hurt i liked how um later in season one they would sometimes they would have the red the dino the red dinos or the tyrannosaurus tyrannosaurus would uh, fight independent of the others. And then the, I think it was uh, the black, blue, and yellow Zords would merge with Tommy's Zord, a cockpit situation that never made. And Kimberly's Zord is just flying around, yes. Yeah, and yet she's often in the shot with the others. Uh, she's often in the shot with the others before the breastplate has flown on. Uh, that I mean that 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 whole dynamic gets weirder with other seasons that we won't cover. Uh, specific when Tommy would uh teleport into the Red Zeo Battle Sword. We don't. I'm actually looking at a Red Zeo Battle Sword on my desk right now, so that kind of came to mind. <laughs> but uh, it it these these Zord sequences just seemed 
so bizarre, especially, I mean, you got, you, when they would bond with the dragon sword, what's that covered by the, is, is it controlled by the flute or is it controlled by them? Uh, it's controlled by them working together as a team, you know, true, true. teamwork. Um, the sword sequences were just so elaborate and fascinating and you just you should uh i can send you like at some point you should there is like seeing uh the modular toys uh and all the like they're very intricate for the models that they use for the zords they're huge and they're all remote controlled and they are super intricately controlled puppets and you're just like oh my god this is beautiful this is truly a work of art um and the first season introduced us to other ones like uh titanius yeah and uh oh um goldar piloted his own zord and the season though originally planned a series finale doomsday called cyclopsis it's actually pretty cool um it's yeah there was a lot of and i i think that was really cool that was a really neat idea of giving villains their own zords so we would see it see it again in the next season and it's always a treat to see the villain get their own proper zord well speaking of villain to go back to tommy green with evil really not only being a pain in the ass to try and rent from the video store, <laughs> as as some of these, I, I remember there was this one time I we were at my dad's parents' place and uh, there was just nothing. I mean, it was back in the day when there was just nothing on TV sometimes for kids, especially on the weekend. No. And they went out and they got the Pudgy Pig episode, and that'll always be baked in my mind. Food fight. Well, a lot of those will also uh, sort of along the lines of what you're saying about how older kids knew. Uh, power, uh, Mighty Morphin with later seasons when you had when you, when you had your collection of action figures they tended to be characters like I guy and the Minotaur guy and or uh, uh, oh oh um a big one that was always he was in all the marketing he always came with like the villain set toys even though he barely made an impact on the show was King Sphinx it was like this right, yeah. yeah and I remember seeing because again I didn't go grow up with mighty morphin so i'm seeing when i'm seeing all this material with king sphinx he's on i had a mighty morphin raincoat uh at one point that had them in the megazord fighting king sphinx uh you see him in all these toys king sphinx uh he's in all the marketing and he's in one episode barely even worth a mention i had to i actually had to look up his name before i got here because uh, <laughs> i'm just like wait what <laughs> um and but th- it, the show was really creative uh, when it came to its monsters because uh, Jew Ranger, the Sentai that Mighty Morphin was adapted from, had a uh, storybook fairy tale motif to it in addition to the dinosaurs. So all the monsters that they fought are based on monsters from mythology. So yeah, you have the Minotaur, you have King Sphinx, who's obviously a Sphinx. I guy is called Argus in the Sentai version. I know that one. Who's uh, who's the one who had the the pot that the Rangers got like sucked into? And I think it was Tommy who uh, had to eventually tickle sneezer that goblin thing. Yeah, I they think. they it really really fascinating. And Tommy's introduction into the show. 
when I think about sort of uh, when you think about uh, breakout characters and uh, as this is recording, uh, Baby Yoda's l- <laughs> like taking over the world, a, a, bre- a perfect example of a breakout character. But uh, when it comes to Tommy, that's an example of a breakout character that a show can actually really struggle to capitalize on initially because the way that this the way that Power Rangers was so intricately tied to the uh, Japanese show Super Sentai which has a long history of six rangers being like kind of more of uh assisting people to the main cast rather than like full-fledged ranger you have this massive breakout star Tommy that the show was was really at times struggling to to use simply because his counterpart wasn't really around they kind of had their hands tied yeah um so uh, his sentai counterpart Burai was actually really was was really popular just as popular as Tommy was but you're right he was not featured very heavily in fact he straight up died like five episodes after his introduction I think he wasn't around for very long and so yeah he ended up being more plot device than character and so yeah Tommy had to rather than killing off this poor boy uh just lost his powers but but um so I said bef- I said at the beginning that the show was originally uh, com- the show was commissioned for forty episodes. Obviously, its popularity warranted more episodes to be ordered. So it was raised from forty episodes to sixty episodes. And while there was stu- there was footage that they could use, uh, they would they were definitely going to run out of usable footage from the Sentai before episode, before the 60 episode mark. So what Saban did was they called up the, they called up Toei who had been producing the show in Japan and asked if they could shoot some more footage with the uh, Jew Ranger suits, the mighty Morphin suits in Japan um, with completely unique monsters that would only be shot just for, Mighty Morphin and um, Tommy's car- Tommy's counterpart would be alive in these interactions, and they would also film some interactions with uh, Burai, the Green Ranger in the Sentai, and May, the Pink Ranger in the Sentai, uh, having a lot more interactions because they didn't interact too much in Japan. But obviously, Tommy and Kimberly are romantically involved, so they filmed some stuff for them, and. Um, they also got the actress in Japan who played Scorpina to come in and do some extra filming for them. And one of the best characters of the season. Yeah, and fun so she was actually uh she actually was fluent in English too. So she even got to do some lines written for Power Rangers. Um but only one like 5 second clip made it in and all of this footage is called Ju2 footage. It was made specifically for Mighty Morphin. It wasn't and it wasn't a part of the Sentai over in Japan. And uh yeah, it was like the show really was struggling that much that they had to call up these guys just to squeeze out this extra footage for them. And, and yeah. this is the dynamic that leads to the yearly costume change so that they can follow up the Yes, yes. Um, eventually. Eventually, at, at yeah. This point, at, at this point, in knowing that Saban is the cheapskate that he is, it's kind of funny that this was uh, the approach was to make more. But I guess maybe 
thinking back to to from a marketing standpoint it probably would have seemed a lot better for them not to change the costumes initially yeah until- because you want that brand consistency of these are the rec- these are the power rangers and that worked for 3 years before uh at some point, an accountant at either Fox or Saban is just like, yeah, yeah, you got to find more ways to save on money. And they were just like, well, okay, what if we stop using the Mighty Morphin suits and bring in these new suits? And now you can sell even more toys. So I have a Tommy story that's actually given the name of the show, Illusions, uh, bringing it back more to its uh, transgender theme. Back when I was uh, a child and I was quite effeminate, I asked for, my parents always say, oh, we never knew you were trans. When I was like three, I asked for a nice dollhouse for for Christmas. Aww. Very, very. uh, One with working lights. Well, it actually, there was a, I'm going to say this really quick. Uh, There's a, at my grandparents' house, there's a big picture of my grandfather was a big equestrian, a picture of him with a horse uh, over the mantelpiece. They printed out for the for the dollhouse living room a small uh, replica of that picture over the mantelpiece in the dollhouse living room. And as a kid who didn't really understand technology or something, I was just like, "Whoa, <laughs> mind mind blown!" But as it relates to Tommy, I see this guy who has this long hair, and from that point forward, I never ever ever wanted a haircut. and my mom would have to drag me kicking she probably wouldn't this is power rangers she she listens to a lot of them uh she would just grab she's gonna call call me after she listens to this be like i did not um it the the tommy with the long hair was just that i guess that's kind of why i'm 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 endeared to this show really specifically kind of that era but um i oh even no i it's it's not the same, but I can one thing that sucked me into Power Rangers from an early age was that I knew the show changed cast every year, but I also knew that there would always be a black cast member that would be different. And uh like even as a six year old kid, I could see that. I could see oh hey, like when I started watching Lightspeed Rescue, uh the black actor for that season was joel he was a sky cowboy he was fun loving he was energetic and oh he had a caesar he had a perfect caesar cut just like i did when i was a kid but even before then you had zach you had zach who was introducing uh hip-hop and urban aesthetics to what's let's be honest going to be a mostly white audience and yeah it's stereotypical but honestly he's he's fun and he's not offensive he's the he's the will smith if you will of this urban gangsta flavor those early 90s the wardrobes are just <laughs> no for... one ca- no one came out unscathed no and especially uh we haven't mentioned them yet but it's hard to talk about that era of Power Rangers or any classic Power Rangers at the original comedy duo of Bulk and Skull who would wear those just hideous uh, biker biker kind of things. Biker, and- punk, goth, whatever. Like, 
you could throw to signify these are bullies. You're not supposed to like them. Yeah, and and the comedy, especially in season one, that centered around Bulk and Skull, tended to really be. Uh, they were meant to be more laughed at than laughed with. They. I'm not. I'm not sure if it's limited just to this season, but there was a lot of oh. cringe cross-dressing comedy that was just very strange. Yeah, it. Uh, oh, just wait till you get to some body switching episodes of Power Rangers that are <laughs> that I know you're gonna have a great time with. Yeah, they. Um, but Bulk and Skull. I mean, it. It really. I think as a child, I would watch some of those and say, "All right, you know, let's get." The, I mean. Really, what Bulk and Skull were there to do was waste time. Yeah, they, they they did not matter in they 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 often appeared in the show's final scene, getting uh you know being the recipient of something or another uh of of. So growing up, I really so again because I didn't grow up with Mighty Morphin when I started watching it when it was in syndication, I really didn't like Bulk and Skull, especially when by seasons two and three, the writing is getting more story heavy, more dramatic. So you could have uh, this one scene. It's like by the first season, it's all like, it's not really going too uh, drama heavy, but you can have the green with evil stuff with Tommy and then you'll have Bulk and Skull get thrown in a dumpster. Bulk and Skull get pies to the faces. Oh, no. But Tommy's disconnected us from Zordon. What are we going to do, guys? Bulk and Skull shenanigans. It really was like whiplash. tonal whiplash. And it could it really took me out of it as a kid. As I got older, I could appreciate, okay, yes, from a writing standpoint, when you have all this dark, heavy stuff, you're going to want to balance it out with something light. But I just wish it was a bit more... Why am I saying... I was going to say subtle, but Power Rangers is anything but subtle. So, no. <laughs> um, And they had... I mean, the other... I, I've read... I don't know how true this is. The uh, So much of the, much of the normal high school scenes take place in the Angel Grove Youth Center, a place that... I mean, they really hustle. I think. I think in terms of trying to keep kids, uh, you know, giving giving kids somewhere to go, I think they actually do a pretty good job of uh, having a, a a lot of activities. But then they had Ernie, who runs a health food juice bar, and I, I've read that that was intentional. That uh, Ernie was uh, overweight. Um, I have. I, I'll take your word on that. I do know... For, for comedic value, which nowadays seems kind of... Uh, insensitive. Not just kind of, but very, very insensitive. Well, it's one of those hilarious and hindsight things because Richard Janelle, the actor who played Ernie, left because of his uh, health issues related to his weight, and he did pass away uh, more than a few years ago. Um, so there's that. But... Um, oh, the youth center. So, but uh, just say the youth center. The youth center. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's also interesting because it just shows just how these kids are the best uh, at what they do because they can do everything. Because that's that's they, a good point. They yeah. manage to do their schoolwork, and we are led to believe on more than one occasion that they are top students in their year. Uh, they teach classes at the youth center. 
Uh, you'll see uh, Kimberly teaching a Pilates class. You'll see Jason teaching karate. Um, and, you know, they also have time for their superhero duties, as well as doing a bunch of charities outside of the youth center. These yeah, kids really can, they can do it all. Um, it's mm, yeah. What I what I really loved is the episodes that have uh, sort of a random kid who's hinted at being friends with one or two of them, and then they're kind of like left out a bit because they got to go do the ranger duty, and then it's like, oh, we're friends again by the end, and the credits roll, and never seen again. Um, there's one episode that sticks out to me. Um, apparently Kimberly is fluent in sign language. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, because, uh, there's this one pretty solid episode where all these kids, uh, fall for some Pied Piper monster or something. I don't know. And obviously the only one who doesn't get sucked away is the deaf girl who runs and tells the Rangers that her friends have been kidnapped. And again, Kimberly's just fluent in sign language. That's a thing. I mean, that's cool, but uh, how, when? Oh, she can just do it all. Okay, never mind. She's very talented. And you know what? Maybe that's why. Because, I mean, Zordon picks five students from Angel Grove. Now, the, the same high school makes sense for when you have to summon the rangers, when you have to call them and stuff, but... You got to think about sort of how how he came, how he and I guess Alpha is also probably the other person on the committee. Ay 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 ay. I'm voiced by Invader Zim. That's a terrible impression of him, but he is voiced by Invader Zim. Yeah, so they get these kids uh who are, he he's really good at picking them. What he's not maybe good at is uh can you imagine from the distance that Zordon was at having to look at things on Behold the Viewing Globe. Viewing Globe, especially in this 4K HD TV era, looks terrible. Uh, well, um, you know, Zordon doesn't really work. Uh, I don't know where his income is coming from, yeah, that's but a you good know, point. where did. <laughs> So, you know, he's working with what he's got, uh, and it's really not fair for you to critique uh, his audiovisual equipment in the 90s uh, without contributing uh, maybe your own. Well, actually, I mean, for what it's worth, there are several episodes, maybe not this early on, but where Billy is able to design a complex machine. Like when he made a flying car? (laughs) Yeah, in in a matter of minutes. To save, to save the Rangers. Oh, or wait, the big one. Uh, so Billy, in the second episode, cre- first of all, he created their communicators, these adorable, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. stylish, wrist-worn walkie-talkie <laughs> things. <laughs> yes, that have actually surprisingly like, oh, wait, that's something that's aged pretty well because, you know, we're in the era of smartwatches. But in that same episode, when he gives them the communicators... Apparently, he also created them to tap into the teleportation features of the command center. So Billy is the one responsible for their ability to teleport anywhere. Yeah, he's like a Nobel piece. He's a Nobel like caliber scientist, and he's fifteen. <laughs> yeah, it's it's asinine, but maybe. But also- oh, it's also it's fantastic. I love that. It is fantastic. Same with the idea of, of the morpher. I mean, if you're thinking about sort of the endless uh, p- 
possibilities that this technology presents. Why can't the morpher just be part of the communicator? Why do they need to hold this sort of awkward uh, thing out and do a, a, a sequence in motion and say, it's morphin' time every time, and they have uh, to go through all of that? Well, as Season 17, Power Rangers RPM specified, the vocal call-out is a necessary safety and security feature. Oh, it's good. Yeah, it's good that seven, 17 years later they address that. <laughs> That's great. Um, or, uh, and, you know, it's also... There is. They're all also not just in not just seventeen years later, but I've heard people ask like, why doesn't uh, Zordon create an army of Rangers, or why doesn't also do this? a good point. Well, because the Morphin Grid, where the Rangers draw their energy from, and this is explained in Mighty Morphin, cannot handle massive amounts of power like get that a ram going upgrade out. <laughs> Bill, why can't billy have a Morphin grid ram upgrade well because billy is intelligent he is capable but even he has his limits not a lot of uh, there's not a, there's not a lot of explanation given They're on very the Morphin specific grid, but limits we know certain things about the morphing grid like uh one thing that does pop up every season or so is that it can't handle the duplication of powers. So if you ever wonder, so there are a couple of episodes where Rita or Zed will create clones of Rangers, and but yeah. and people will say, why don't they stick around? Well, because those clones won't last for very long. Like, <laughs> no, seriously, they will disintegrate. They will die off. It does happen. We've seen it happen a couple of times throughout the entire the show's entire run. So. Not the. It's a good strategy for a short amount of time, but not great in the long term. If you want to create evil rangers, though, you'll need to build them from scratch, which may be some foreshadowing. Just saying. Well, there's also some very complex, uh, sort of astral plane, not astral plane, but sort of negative zone dimension in, uh, like Calamity Kimberly, where she's sucked into a jar, and you sort of look at at the way that this show approaches physics and. Not only is it really, really, really complex in in very small, specified, singular doses, which are never mentioned again, but that kind of also plays into the idea that Rita really doesn't try and improve her strategy. It's still, even with creating her own ranger, there's never really a case where she tries something, it fails, and then she kind of takes what works from that. Oh, this might this might be why she got fired by season two. Uh, when Zed came in, he did point out that she was defeated constantly by children. Not inaccurate. And I read that I've read that the show in its first season in its first few seasons had a very solid magic versus technology thing where the Rangers are using tech or Billy is creating tech. Uh, Rita is using magic and that's not working for her as well. Like she's using spells, incantations, potions, and that sort of thing. And the Rangers can circumvent that by creating these uh, devices that can access other dimensions or devices to cancel out her magic or that sort of thing. Well, I mean, she's got... Her 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 staff are really not the best. She has Goldar, who's an excellent supervillain. Mm-hmm. But then you got Finster, who's basically like he likes to build. He's he's not really all that evil. No, he's he's a creative type. He loves he's complicit. Just, yeah, and but again, he does serve his purpose on Rita's roster. 
And then you got Squad and Babu who are just like there. They're kind of I, I I really you get the sense that they're evil because they personally find it funny to be evil. They hench. Yeah, they're they're henchmen. And then you've also got what I've loved and a term that I've I've used literally pretty much my whole life is the subject of of uh, it was Power Rangers really the first time I learned what what grunts were. That you've got your putties are your your grunt workers and yeah we've we've called the lowest person at a the lowest point of the totem pole in uh, a lot of areas uh, the grunt no same I did learn that that was what they're called like I've, there's loads of, like grunts mooks the beat 'em up squad is one that I love what's what's actually something cool in this like mild bit of continuity for the show is that at the start of Mighty Morphin, uh, the Rangers have a hard time against putties. Like, they can take down one or two of them as a team before they need to morph. But by the end of the season, they can take down dozens of them individually without needing to morph. They only need to morph when the monster shows up. And so I'm like, oh, that's a that's a neat character development thing they've included, that the putties aren't really a threat for them anymore by the end of the season. That's true, and I really loved when the putties would, especially if there were fights on playgrounds or stuff, <laughs> yeah. the putties would interact. The putties were kind of fun-loving, and there's not really... We don't see... We, we do see putties occasionally, actually often around the... Maybe not so much in the first season, but uh, around the uh, Moon Castle. But we don't see Goldar trying to train his putties. Uh, it's a It's a... Well, there were the putties that took the form of the rangers. Yeah, that only people could see with some kind of special advanced. glasses. Yeah, that that uh, didn't Billy have to design those? Yes, he did. I because think he's amazing. I'm pretty sure that's season two, but uh, it's 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 remarkable how many tropes debuted in the first season that would really kind of define all the other seasons. Yeah, it's. It's a it's a winning. Obviously, twenty some twenty six years later, it's a winning formula. The Rangers are faced with a the Rangers are faced with a problem. There's a monster attack. They fight the grunts. They morph to fight the monster. Uh, monster goes away. They are able to connect their problem with the problem that the monster presents, and through that bit of development, they're able to defeat the monster on the ground level, but then they take it to the macro level for that sweet theme song fight. Oh God, some of those songs, some of those theme songs are just so... Go Green Ranger, go! Hey, Ron Wasserman. I will win. Okay, well, I, I mean, know, I, it, I, always, I always loved the show's music. It is... Hey, they committed, they committed, and the Power Ranger theme song, when it was released oh my in a mainstream audience, was pr- literally, this is no joke, was produced by Simon Cowell. Really? Yeah. When it, when, no shit! When the main theme song was released as a commercial single in the United States, Simon Cowell, and this is like 10 years before American Idol, Simon Cowell produced it. That That I do know for a fact, but... Okay, I just learned the other day that White Ranger Power. <laughs> I just learned the other day that uh, so the movie version, um, the movie version's theme song is a beautifully rendered uh, 
orchestral reimagining. And it has this amazing drum solo in it by the drummer for Guns N' Roses. Uh, Probably you... Matt Sorum. There we go. And I'm Slight just... chance it was... I don't think it would have been Duff McKay. No, not, not Duff McKay. Uh, uh, Steve Ad... Yeah, Adler. Steve Adler. Um, Probably not him. Probably Matt Sorum. But again, I, I love the show's music. I love how it it really does blend well with the amazing fight choreography. That's one thing that I can like, I cannot deny about this show is that the fights, the stunts are incredible. The actors look incredible doing all these flips and kicks. And I think that's one thing that really made it stand out from the other shows on the Fox Kids block was because there's not another uh, kids action show that has this level of precision in its choreography uh, that it's that the actual actors are doing. They're not using stunt actors for the most part. Um, it's them. And it's not surprising because they did have some pretty solid up and coming uh, choreographers working on that show. I know that uh, Kimberly's suit actress was also the stunt actress for Sarah Michelle Gellar on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Wow. While the shows are... So, like, imagine she's doing Power Rangers in the day, doing Buffy at night, and it's... Oh, my gosh. I The action in this show is amazing. Well, eventually got amazing. Like, the first few episodes had some goofier action moments that I'm sure everyone would like to forget about, but no, just seeing them... And just seeing them... It's this is going to sound so corny and cheesy. Please forgive me, but watching the move, it's poetry in motion. I love seeing <laughs> these actors fight and jump and flip, and they look so good while doing it, too. Now you know why we brought Colin on. I'm so <laughs> Oh, I'm just an old fool. I, you're all going to make fun of me when you hear yes, me say that. Of course. Um, one thing that I continually laugh at I'm usually pretty in the bag when this show comes on. I've seen a lot of... I've seen most of Mighty Morphin upwards of four or five times. Rita just... There reaches a point in every... Seemingly every episode where it, it becomes obvious to Rita that the key to attempting to beat the Rangers, the next step is to have the monster... And I, I would just love to see where the writer's room... Where they said, gee, how can we improve this? We'll have the monster... Every villain, every villain since has decided the same trajectory of the way to then defeat when the battle isn't going well, but more suspense is to have them grow. At any point in your many rewatches, have you ever thought to yourself, this is, I, I, I can't, okay, that's not fair. I cannot say that in the many times I've rewatched this show over the entirety of my life that I have been disappointed by a monster getting bigger I came to see the monster get bigger I, would you rather he, it got smaller no I just I, I I approach it from the perspective of of I, I try to put myself in Rita's not her shoes I guess maybe her skirts uh, nice outfit um fabulous outfit fabulous of the Madonna boobs yeah and the hat um mm -hmm. really really and she's, you know, it's it's a well dressed people all around. You got Zordon and his his liquid tube. You got Alpha looking great. And then, who could just talk about Power Rangers? Really, just the winner really for Power Rangers was the reputation of spandex. 
Oh, oh, spandex. You can he- just you can just put on a pink a pink bodysuit and you are good to go. You can wear it up. You can wear it to a cocktail party. Really, and if if a monster grows in your backyard, you can just summon your Zord to go take it out. Hey, they look great in that spandex. They do. Um, they do. They that really was- fill out those suits. Um. It's true. I would have preferred more cod pieces, if I'm being honest. Uh, that's something that would happen in the Disney era of the show. Um, like no joke, that was actually a mandate: was that they had to wear protect uh, dance belts and cod pieces. <laughs> um, but yeah, those suits—they're iconic. Uh, they are. They're, they are. They're simple, but I love. So this is just a bit of a gripe, and the once we get to the proper suit changes of Zio and onward, I will say this. Uh, I'm not a fan of when these suits have white gloves and boots because more often than not, they clash with the outfit. They don't blend very well. But with the Mighty Morphin suits, there's enough white on the chest to, and there's enough of their colors on the cuffs of the gloves to where it's like, oh, the white is balanced really well the colors are balanced really well. The helmets are really cool. You know what dinosaurs are supposed to look like. And yeah, it's spandex. It expands. It's easy to move around in. And it accentuates where it needs to accentuate. The spandex supports, lifts, and separates. They really... And maybe it was also Zordon psychologically like telling... Jason to keep working out because a muffin top would not look really particularly good in that. Okay, <laughs> come on now. Let's, uh, come on now. No shaming. No, I, I think Zordon, I, I think in all honesty, Zordon did that on purpose. The muffin top is the hardest thing to lose. Wait, uh, he, didn't, he didn't put bulk, he didn't put bulk in a costume. Why couldn't bulk have been a Power Ranger? Oh, real quick, uh, as something that we didn't bring up when we brought Bulk and Skull. Uh, Jason Narvey, who played Skull, auditioned for Billy. Um, didn't get it, obviously, but they thought he was funny enough. And now so, he's a professor. Yes, a drama professor and a Shakespearean-trained actor. Really good for him. That's that's remarkable. Very good for you, Dr. Narvey. Um, Maybe we'll have him on the show sometime. Uh, <laughs> as in we'll but, ask him. I don't know. We've, we've had bigger guests. Uh... Um, so yeah, the suits, they look great and they are still in pop culture consciousness. Like when people think Power Rangers, you're going to think diamonds on spandex suits. There was during fashion week, a designer designed these really cool outfits around the diamond suits. Um, they're great suits and the actors look great in them. Uh, and fun, fun, uh, funnily enough, those weren't the suits from the Sentai. They actually those uh the suits from the Sentai didn't last, and so and obvious and also, uh, for the scenes where you had the actors in the suits but without their helmets, these actors are various sizes in comparison to the uh much more uniform toned stunt actors from Japan. So they had to make their own suits, and you can kind of tell they don't look as well put together as yeah. the sentai footage one but it's not super distracting it's just something i've noticed from watching the show for so long so as we kind of head into the end game of this uh 
podcast, I wanted to ask you who your favorite villain was of this season. My favorite villain would probably be... It would probably be Rita. Because, you know, I can sympathize working... Like, I've, I can imagine that working with an organization that is not doing too hot at this whole taking over the world thing. It could give anyone migraines, which, by the way, you seriously need to get checked out. It could be tumorous. Um, favorite episode villain? Favorite episode? Favorite monster, I guess. Oh, favorite uh, monster? Um, Eye Guy. I love how he looks. He's just really freaky, but a uh, really well put together design. Um, Yeah. I see. I don't. I've already talked about Pudgy Pig so much. But, uh, <laughs> oh, did you? This is a long shot. Did you? They they made books based off of oh, yeah. Power Rangers. Did you have that one, the Food Fight book? Probably. I mean, he really. And I I stuck watching the show for for a long time, so I, I would be also familiar with other other villains, but. He was just so gross, and I remember they they dubbed uh, a lot of Kimberly's lines when when he would interact with uh, the the Pink Ranger, and it was uh, really the just just hilarious. And I thought the Lizinator was also a, a pretty uh, memorable villain. Was that the one voiced by Brian Cranston? I will. No, he's not showing up as that. Oh. Um, it, uh, they really, I mean, these monsters, it, it's genius that they can make so many toys out of these people because they really were uh, very memorable. Um, the Minotaur guy who really can't be that memorable is, because um, I'm not remembering his big name that was another great one then of course we have the who could forget when uh kimberly has her wheel turned into a monster the first time that that sort of sets precedent <laughs> later on that not only will your your household objects get turned into monsters you'll get them back afterward after they're done wrecking a, a a city you'll get them back that thing was also surprisingly powerful like the the wheel of doom the, i think it was yeah called. the wheel of misfortune the wheel of misfortune it like and it wasn't even just a it spinning was, wheel. It was like taking Sleeping Beauty and putting it into uh, into Power Ranger form. I don't, I don't know why I find spinning wheels hilarious, but I do. Um, uh, oh, another one that Jesus got a really cool design, and I love the pumpkin wrapper. Oh yeah, that's another. <laughs> He's just got such a ridiculous design, but I love it. Somehow it works. I, I love. I do love the monsters that are more human shaped because you tend to get more interesting movements from the suit actors yeah the 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 one zach's birthday party one the night guy uh, uh nasty night nasty night yes um yeah they really and i mean that was also you'd see zor uh not you'd see goldar taking on all the rangers at once and that you, you always liked a monster that could really hold hold their own against all all of the rangers plus tommy at at, at some points as well very um very memorable i mean these uh, i i personally will uh maybe not call uh the fight choreography uh sure some people will call it poetry but uh yeah this guy does 
they were very well choreographed. It's really some great stuff, and I, it holds up. I mean, there's this show has a lot of value in terms of of for people of my age just remembering what what the early '90s how weird they were. Really, when I hear people get really nostalgic of the '90s, I'm like, the '90s was a fucking weird time. I I, I don't I that, don't get the nostalgia, but but that decade was a fashion disaster. There's baby pictures of me looking like an extra on the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. I had a high top fade. No one was safe. Yeah, and I mean stuff like the Macarena was huge. Uh, for some reason, we had OJ. Very odd, but um, dark. Very, <laughs> very weird. Weird decade. Uh, this this the show. I mean, it's it's so, it's so readily available too on uh, on Netflix. Just to have all of these episodes to go back and. How uh, great is it that the entire show is just right there on Netflix until it until it goes to the Power Rangers streaming service? But I think I have the DVD. Early, early you episodes. shut your mouth, well, please. We don't need, we don't need another one. Well, I'm, we're, we're getting one. I'm spending, please. I'm spending enough money as it is. We're getting. Saban's gonna move it. It's, Actually, no. Saban doesn't. Uh, Saban doesn't own the show anymore. It's Hasbro's now. Oh crap! In a hat. Wait. Hasbro is related to. Would they? Never mind. Mattel, but Hasbro, huh? Mattel. Hasbro is the one in charge of the show right now. So. They oh, get to decide great. where it goes. A toy company, lovely. Yeah, it's just um, I guess one other one other question for uh, before we before we wrap up, who is your favorite of the original Rangers? Um, of the original Rangers, it's Kimberly. Uh, she stuck around of the five. She stuck around the longest. Yeah, Billy, Billy, That's Billy, uh, Billy, Billy. caught myself. Caught myself there. Uh, but it's, it's still Kim because she's fun and. I'm not gonna lie. I would be. I would react very much the way she would react to all of this. Uh, That's a good point. Grossed out and freaked out, and I don't want that thing to touch me. Okay, then. Uh, no, there's a lot of trauma that is unexplored in a lot of the. I mean, that's maybe that's why they cycle them out so much. Uh, there's a lot of. It's they go through some fucked up shit. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, Kim, I love her. I love her character. She's uh she could very easily be annoying, uh, especially with the basic Valley Girl stereotype she was assigned, but Amy Jo Johnson's performance gives it a lot of it gives Kim a lot of depth, a lot of range, and she's not a mean high school Valley Girl. She's just a girl, a child thrown into a very weird situation and would react how we all would. That's yeah, it's well said. I uh, I like Kimberly a lot. I would probably have. Well, I know who yours is. I mean, Tommy is obviously the. You always like a man who uh, women want to date, and men want to be like a some a, some like men want to date, like a James Dean or a, a Clint Eastwood kind of guy. Uh, he carried himself with a. He was a ma- very masculine guy, but he wasn't so aggressively ma- macho in the fashion that uh, Jason was. In fact, really, Billy, Billy, Zach, and Tommy all very—they complimented Jason very well. Uh, I guess I have—I I have a soft spot. I have a soft spot for them all, really. Except I don't really have a soft spot for Jason. But uh, what I liked about Trini and Billy is a lot of the times they really felt like they were the two who were 
well, they were often kind of put on the tech duty. Uh, Trini would assist Billy in his nonsense creations, but they were also kind of uh, s- sort of sucked into it out of a sense of duty versus, you know, Tommy and Jason are kind of peacocking for the glory and Kimberly. And oh, yeah, there was a secret. whole episode about that. Yeah, so you got you got the Rangers who want to be the Rangers, and then you got the Rangers who are just like, what the hell did I get into? And I, I think that kind of uh, summarizes... Um, Trini and, and and Billy, and then you got Zach, who's just uh, he's a good. Guy. I mean, he was he was the original number two of the team, I think. Yeah, that hierarchy was was fairly they they adhered to that pretty well. Yeah, that's why he's the first in the morphing call, but Jason is the one who gets the punctuating Tyrannosaurus, yeah. and bit and then Mastodon. Yeah, and then Tommy came along, and then he's the one who starts off the yeah the order of the morphing call is uh an interesting one too yeah fun it's like weird a weird fun easter egg is that that order of like mastodon pterodactyl that is kind of an easter egg no it it's uh every season afterwards when they have their morphing sequence will follow those corresponding color like if there's no black ranger on the team and there's a green ranger instead they'll have a green ranger start the morphing sequence followed by Mm. pink yeah interesting yeah that is a nice little subconscious uh like I can, I can show you a clip a little bit later. Were you bothered that all of the all of the original Rangers had, you know, Mastodon was a was an actual one, was an actual creature, but then Tommy would say Dragon Zord. He wouldn't say Dragon, which I is did, maybe just one syllable. I did think that was weird, but. Admittedly, not as weird as the fact that a mastodon and a saber-toothed tiger aren't dinosaurs. That is also very odd. Uh, yeah. I mean, maybe Zordon didn't know that. He's an outsider. He's an immigrant. Okay. Well, you know, I guess like you know, stranger in a strange place and all that. But you know, I think with the Tommy saying Dragon Zord, that's supposed to be more. Oh. Whoa! This guy is defined, but it's not a dinosaur at all. It's something different. It's something. It's a dragon Zord. Where do you think Zordon and Titanius met? Um, well, you know, it's one of those uh, who saved who stories. The swingers night. Oh no! It was like you know, uh, it's it's like uh, Zordon uh, went to a Zord shelter, and you know, he saw, this, he saw this adorable uh, Brachiosaurus tank thing, and he's like, "Oh, I bet you you've been hurt, haven't you?" And they told him, "I'll talk." Yeah, this guy, this little guy's got a story, and Zordon's like, "Yeah, I've got a story too." And well, you know, that's how it starts. Titanius is really the only time where they actually do kind of escalate it. Uh. Well, yeah, but he's God tier, so it's okay. If God says that you can escalate it, it's cool. I I'm not disagreeing. It's just it's just it's just certainly kind of odd. Or they would use their sword. Uh, I guess they use the sword most times. They wouldn't bring the sword uh, initially, which is really disrespectful to all the property damage that they cause. <laughs> um, and to the, all the all the. Just once I wanted to see a pedestrian stepped on. Good lord. <laughs> I you know, I I really I I I'm in I'm in I, I watch Power Rangers for the realism. Oh Oh Ian Hun I don't know how to say this, but you will be disappointed as we go into season two. Well that will be a 
God, we got Lord Zed to cover. Well, we um maybe this is a a, a good place to stop. Final thoughts on uh on on Power Rangers uh Mighty Morphin Power Rangers season one. So final thoughts, Mighty Morphin probably wasn't built on the most engaging of circumstances by today's standards, but. It it was the nineties. Who knows what we who knows what we got away with back then? So back in the nineties, I was in a very famous TV show. That was some nice harmony right there. Um, but you know what? I'm <laughs> uh, I'm grateful for it. Uh, the legacy that it's created. Um, that's still going strong. Twenty five plus years later, it's it's my favorite show. I will go deep deep into analysis on the show i love it uh i and it's something that i can watch just to like look back and feel nostalgic on when i was a kid or to have in the background while i'm doing something else or just to like i've actually gotten story ideas uh in my own writing from this franchise so i i owe it a lot so listeners of this podcast know that we have been doing Thomas the Tank Engine VHS tape recaps. So it, it is it is in this show's DNA to cover old obsessions of mine that never really faded. Unlike Colin, I don't watch... I, I've seen uh, many episodes of some of the Disney seasons even ones I think probably as late as Operation Overdrive, which is uh, fairly deep. Not not really commenting on the quality, but just I, I got oh. to relive some of this with my uh my sister is ten years younger than me. Huh. Mighty Morphin S P D would be the big one that we watched. Uh oh that's that, a good one. It is a good one. But as it relates to, I never got sick of watching Power Rangers. I'd watch it in college, watch it in high school Watch it now. Tara doesn't even really care when I put it on. Although, to be honest, there's very little things that she she's actually very good about that. Um, she, uh, I mean, Power Rangers is is something. Obviously, uh, subconsciously, I'll always be very grateful to as a as a transgender person to have uh the visibility of 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 Tommy who deviated from uh typical gender norms with his hair. Uh, something as a child when I was uh, struggling to articulate what what was really going on inside of me. I saw him and I, you know, Kimberly would have been somebody I'd, I'd want to be, but Tommy was maybe an example of somebody that at the time I could, could try and actually emulate. So that was something that was, was, was important to me. And I looked the show beyond that. I didn't watch that much longer after Tommy left, but, uh, there's uh, turbo is actually probably a better season after they left. And, um, In Space is uh, is a good show. It's uh, considered the best by a lot of uh, metrics or a lot of fans. Well, I'll always be biased and love uh, Mighty Morphin because it just it's so fun. It holds up. It's it's corny. It's stupid. There's plot holes in a billion episodes. The music is uh, wild and the, whatever that band is, they really do they they commit to it. And I gotta appreciate that. I think this show holds up. Above above a lot of things, as as one of the lasting pop culture uh, pieces of the '90s, and it's just such a such a beautiful show to revisit. And I am so grateful that you've invited me to revisit it with you. Well, we've got a lot of other 
We talked about it. Uh, we, this is your, I think, third appearance on the show. We did the Dumbledore episode, and we also 13 did Reasons Why, 13 and this is the third. Why. Yeah. So we initially, when we t- thought about bringing in, we have, our, we have our remote guests, and then we have people who tend to record in studio. We're in studio right now. Uh, Colin, we just wanted to bring him on to do this. I know Colin's such a huge Ranger fan, but uh, I am too, and uh, th- we have many more episodes to record uh this will be uh probably not as regular as some of our other series because of just colin's availability but uh we are committed to doing a bunch of these so we will be back to do season two i'm super excited uh colin um thank you again so much for for coming on you you have a you bring a lot of expertise to the table on this particular subject and it's always great to find somebody who can uh, really, I mean, you'd surpass my power and your knowledge, but uh, somebody who can just uh, throw things back and forth with on such a phenomenal franchise. Oh, no, thank you for having me on, uh, especially because, like, whenever I... A lot of times when I talk about Power Rangers, I can see a glassy, glazed-over look in someone's eyes as they lose interest. So thank you for, thank you for, if not hiding that well, uh, for putting up with uh, my insane ramblings. Oh no, I mean we've got anyone who's listening to this episode, yeah, I, I know, into I know. it yeah. is with us, and we are with you, and we thank you so much for listening. Oh, thank uh, you. We will see you next time. Oh,